This is Digital Health Today, episode 25. The advice I would have is never feel like you're trapped. I think a lot of physicians and clinicians, they dedicate a lot of time and money and energy in pre-med and then dedicate a lot of time and energy in medical school. They dedicate a lot of time and energy even in residency and perhaps even post-residency in practice. And they feel like they've got all that medical debt, they've spent all that time in, they've got all these expectations and prestige and pride, and they feel trapped like they can't leave. And sometimes you do have to leave healthcare as a practitioner to fix the system and fix what ails it. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. This episode is brought to you by Bayer Grants for Apps. Bayer Grants for Apps invites you to submit your innovative healthcare projects. Selective startups will receive funding, office space, and mentorship by top Bayer professionals. Apply online at grants4apps.com. That's grants, the number four apps.com. But hurry, applications close on May 31st, 2017. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Digital Health Today. This is episode 25. We're going to bring you another set of insights and knowledge to make the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and I'm thrilled to be bringing you today's guest. Today's topic is one that is in the news every single day, and that topic is AI, often known as artificial intelligence, but also known as augmented intelligence. We'll get into the nuances of that in this program, but no matter what you call it, AI is finally going mainstream. From making recipes and suggesting clothing, to identifying tumors and potential treatments, AI technology is being applied in homes, businesses, and importantly, it's being applied in healthcare. My guest is going to tell us all about it, but first, let me tell you about a few things. It is conference season, and organizations all around the world are holding their spring meetings, and with technology getting so much interest and investment, you can fill entire weeks going from one meeting to the next. I've had the good fortune of attending the Health 2.0 conference in Barcelona, where I joined the well-known and well-dressed Chelsea fan, Matthew Holt. He's one of the leaders who sensed the changes coming for healthcare over a decade ago, and he put together what I believe to be one of the best organizations to promote and advance the solutions that are making a difference today. Hundreds, probably many thousands of entrepreneurs have been on the Health 2.0 stage talking with leaders about what they're doing and how they're making a difference. Matthew, however, hates the term digital health, so you can just guess how he feels about the name of this podcast Matthew prefers the term smack health, S-M-A-C-K health. That's right. You heard it right. Smack health. In fact, he feels so strongly about the name smack health that he launched a website. That website is smack.health, S-M-A-C-K.health. Go online and check it out. He describes what smack.health is all about in the video that's on the site. And I've invited Matthew to come onto this program and give us some insights about his vision for smack health and the future of health globally. Subscribe to the podcast and you'll be sure not to miss it. I also attended the Cube Tech Fair in Berlin on the 10th to the 12th of May, and this event was really impressive. It had startups and innovations spanning from the Internet of Things to crop science and health. It drew some really big names like Robin Wright, who stars on the House of Cards. You know, I'll just admit it, she scares me a little bit. Uh, and, and the talented Steve Wozniak of Apple fame. Now, it's one thing to have Steve Wozniak at a health tech conference. That's pretty impressive in and of itself. It adds a level of cool that is... You know, it's just difficult to replicate. But let me tell you, it's an entirely new level when Steve Wozniak, the inventor of the Apple computer, is judging a startup competition and he selects the winner, which is a digital health company, Enlitic, E-N-L-I-T-I-C. Enlitic won the 1 million euro prize. Check them out, enlitic.com, E-N-L-I-T-I-C.com. 
They're a company in San Francisco using deep learning to distill actionable insights from billions of clinical cases. In fact, I've invited them on the show to talk about their success in growing their business, what's next for them, and how they're going to use all that prize money. Okay, last thing, then we'll jump into the meat of today's show. I've been telling you all year that great things are coming for this podcast and the digital health community that you're a part of. And I'm happy to announce that one of those things is coming together right now as you're listening to this. I speak with a lot of health innovators and makers and doers, and I have the opportunity to help many of them build new products and services into new markets, win funding and customers, and advance the practice of healthcare. And thanks to this podcast, many people I probably otherwise would not have had the chance to meet have gotten in touch and asked for input, advice, introductions, anything that will help advance their project, their solution, and their business. I'm a big believer in eliminating barriers, so I've been working on a way to deliver the expertise, strategy, and network that will help accelerate the success of these entrepreneurs and innovators around the world. So I'm pleased to announce that we're launching the very first online course aimed specifically to help those people who are working to do the right thing to create innovative products and services that solve real needs in healthcare and to do so in a way that is sustainable, compliant, and scalable. I, along with other health and innovation leaders around the world, are launching the first Digital Health Jumpstart. That's the name of the program, Digital Health Jumpstart. And it's designed to cover a range of essential topics like design thinking, health economics and reimbursement, regulatory drivers, market entry strategies, financing, and more. The doors to the course aren't open yet, but I invite you to go to the website and register your interest. Go to digitalhealthjumpstart.com and sign up to be among the first to enter. Space is limited, so don't miss out. Check out digitalhealthjumpstart.com or click on the links on the website digitalhealthtoday.com. Now, on to the interview. My guest today is Chaitanya Dehagam. He's a healthcare technologist and global partner innovation executive at IBM Watson Health. He studied medicine at University of Alabama. He was a general surgery resident at the University of Texas. And then he did what a lot of medically trained people are doing. He went into business. He's going to tell us all about IBM Watson Health, some of the projects and organizations they're working with, and importantly, how you can find out more and become a partner with Watson Health yourself. He gives some great links to the resources and materials that are available. I know you're probably driving or exercising or multitasking in some way. I do the same thing when I'm listening to podcasts. Don't worry. We have all the links and information captured in the show notes. Just head over to digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 25, and everything is neatly organized for you there. Now let's dive into the interview with Chaitanya Dahagam. Chaitanya, thank you very much for joining me and welcome to the program. Hi, very, very nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Dan. Chaitanya, I've shared with the listeners a little bit about your background and some of the things you've done before you got to IBM Watson. Can you tell us a little bit more about your personal journey that got you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think I'll start from the beginning. So I'm born and raised in Alabama. And so for anyone who's wanting to connect with me in any way, don't hesitate or worry about uh, mispronouncing my name. I've heard the worst. Um, but I was born and raised in Alabama. I have an undergraduate degree in computer science. Um, after that, I tell folks that I fell into the trap of being the firstborn child of an immigrant family. My dad's an engineer, but he wanted me to be a doctor. And so uh, I went, uh, I, fortunately, I had a strong interest in science uh, as well. So I actually went to uh, medical school and went to the University of Alabama School of Medicine. Um, I ended up actually choosing general surgery to, to go into residency. And then I, I moved to San Antonio, Texas, and was a general surgery resident there for five years. As a general surgeon with an IT background, I knew that I wanted to fix patients, but I also wanted to fix the system. And I wanted to use technology to do it. So in 2011, I took a shot in the dark just to see what what is out there. 
Um, is there any way for me to, for example, bring my clinical technical knowledge together and inflect change on, on healthcare in the U.S. from the outside, perhaps being able to impact millions of lives by helping use technology to fix multiple health systems in the U.S. and abroad? So I got lucky and had an awesome opportunity to um, move from uh, Texas to the D.C. area to work for the advisory board company. Great company. And I, and I worked with them, did health technology consulting for four years. So I was using some of their technology platforms to deliver insights to uh, physicians and clinicians and even hospital executives and stakeholders directly. So I had a great time there. Through a family friend, however, I was introduced to some to some folks from IBM Watson Health, and those conversations turned into real opportunities. And 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 now I actually, since a little over a year ago, I've been with IBM Watson Health, and in Watson Health, I lead the the Watson Health ecosystem, and in that role, I work with companies, large and small, so health systems, EHR vendors, startups, to identify and define health-related use cases, and then figure out how do we bring all our technology, data, partners together to build the solutions to those use cases. I also work with some of our larger partners, some of the partners you might hear about in the media, folks like Cleveland Clinic, Medtronic, to figure out how can we help them utilize solutions perhaps that our partners have already built in our ecosystem, um, or do we need to build custom solutions? You and I met shortly after you had started with IBM Watson. I think you and I met at the uh, 3D meeting up in Dartmouth. That's right. I think we met before you even had your business cards printed. So it was very early in your time there. That's right. What was it that attracted you to IBM? Yeah, really, really good question. Each different phase of my professional life has enabled me to really get knee deep in a particular subject matter. And so what attracted me to IBM was really actually my time at the advisory board, which was I was able to not only gain some of the, the, the business skills and, cons- and building relationships, um, understanding basic things like uh, revenue and profit and those types of things and case studies and, and project management, that kind of traditional consulting stuff. But I was also, because Advisory Board is, is a health technology company in a way, able to see all the different ways that technology truly could impact healthcare. And then what attracted me to IBM Watson Health was it would enable me to augment my natural kind of technology inclinations, if you will, uh, and interest with the ability to really utilize cutting edge technology. We're talking cognitive computing and machine learning to impact healthcare. And, And so that's really what attracted me is that I had the opportunity to work with an established technology company that has a focus on healthcare. And, and not only that is that, you know, Watson Health is kind of like a startup within uh, this big beast known as IBM. So to go into that startup uh, mentality, the people were great, the culture is great, all that other stuff that you look for in, a, in, in an organization before you join it. But it just felt like the right fit for me at the right time. And the other part is I felt like I was bringing something to them as well. Now, Chaitanya, AI is being applied everywhere. It's really the buzzword that is cutting across every industry. I think that most people would say that AI stands for artificial intelligence, but I often see that IBM refers to AI as augmented intelligence. So as we get started on this interview, can you first of all give us some insight into what AI is and some of the nuances between the description as artificial intelligence versus augmented intelligence? With Watson, when we refer to it as, as augmented or enhanced intelligence, we're 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 referring it to it with that terminology because Watson is not creating any insights out of thin air. 
Um, well, when we give Watson a, a data sets, for example, let's think about clinical or health-related use cases, we're giving Watson clinical and non-clinical data sets to ingest and process. And those are things from electronic health records, from medical and clinical literature and textbooks, um, from local uh, and professional society uh, care pathways and care protocols for specific conditions. We are then also giving Watson or loading Watson, if you will, or training Watson is probably the better term, um, with rules um, that we have generated over years based upon our experience, our science, our research, and our biases. So, for example, we train Watson with a ton of clinical data and non-clinical data and rule sets that say, for example, hey, Watson, uh, a, and any person who has a hemoglobin A1C greater than 6.5, that person is a diabetic. So Watson is not artificially determining what kind of a person is a diabetic. We're telling Watson that a diabetic is defined as someone who has an A1C of 6.5 or greater, or, or someone who has an ICD-9 or ICD-10 with such and such code, or someone who has diabetes clearly mentioned in the past medical history or in the problem list of an electronic health record note uh, or HNP or something like that. So that initial layer of training that, that Watson receives is not artificial. It's provided by us as humans, again, based upon our knowledge, our research, our experiences, and our biases. Down the road, maybe 100 degrees down, Watson may create a new definition of diabetes based upon what the latest data at that time has found with or without human input. If it's without human input, we may be able to conclude at that time that that is artificial intelligence. In all likelihood, though, it'll still be with human input, especially at the, at the initial node that we're training now. So that's why we have this distinction between artificial and augmented or enhanced intelligence, because the first layer of training that any machine will get is from us. So is it truly artificial? So it might be more of a philosophical con conversation, um, but that's kind of the nuts and bolts of how we get there. Okay. All right. So that, that helps explain it in terms of uh, your approach, which is augmented or enhanced intelligence and the separation between that and what artificial intelligence will be. Right. I think in a lot of ways, the Watson product has mm -hmm. become synonymous with what is often referred to as artificial intelligence. Correct. And, You're uh, right. I mean, it, it, it became very well known in the public view after it, it uh, won Jeopardy some years ago. How many years ago was that? About seven years ago? Six years ago, actually, 2011. Yeah. yeah. So six years ago, it, it won that, and it really became very well known in society broadly because of that achievement uh, and what it was able to do. Now, in advance of this call, you sent me an email with some links and a ton of information about Watson. So we can break that down into various things, but there there must be 16 different services that are offered through the platform looking at uh, at one of the links. Um, yeah. Everything from visual recognition to yep. language translators. Can you give me an overview of some of these services and let's talk about some of these that uh, apply most in the healthcare setting? When people think about Watson, again, like you said, they think about AI and so forth, but they also think about it, what kind of what they see in our commercials. They see this big black box or this orb that you're just asking a ton of questions to and you're getting answers um, to those questions. And that's, in a nutshell, the end, the, the end, the output, if you will, or the end uh, UI UX in a sense. Um, but in, what Watson really is, is an integrated set of APIs, application services that are stitched together in a way to derive into insights for specific use cases. The ones that really come to mind 
when it comes to healthcare, or that would be very uh, useful in healthcare, number one is natural language processing. So the ability to, for example, read a physician's or a nurse's notes, um, not only understanding what's been coded from an ICD-9, uh, ICD-10, CPT um, perspective, but also uh, what's been actually written down in the notes and using natural language um, specific for healthcare to understand, you know, again, determine who's diabetic based upon what's written in the note. So even if it's something that's not been coded. Um, so natural language, then there's also what we call um, uh, relationship extraction. So being able to, after being taught, you know, this, you know, diabetes means this, for example, or so forth, to be able to find key concepts and key terms in the data that it just in ingested or the national, national language it just processed to be able to derive those relationships and concepts and pull them out and make a connection between those. So uh, relationship extraction. Um, um, and some of these terms may have changed. Uh, these, the names of these applications, APIs may have changed. So, but these are versioned. Then there's also um, what's called retrieve and rank. So once those relationships are, are extracted, um, they uh, are, are those uh, are identified. Then to be able to retrieve those uh, uh, relationships and rank them based upon likelihood of its applicability. So being able to find diabetic with a hemoglobin A1C of X and, a, and another value of Y. Maybe that there's no A1C in there, but Watson finds an average daily uh, plasma glucose of X, which also defines as a diabetic, to be able to say, um, you know, here, uh, you know, I, this patient is not a diabetic based on A1C, but that's ranked lower than the fact that this patient is a diabetic based upon average daily fasting glucoses or something like that. Um, so those retrieve and rank. Um, then there's trade-off analytics is some of the technology, uh, another API that we have to be able to say, well, what if I treat this patient in this way? What will happen 10 steps down the road? Well, what is the, what is the predicted outcome? What is the predicted outcome if I don't do this um, or if they do have this intervention, et cetera? So that's another technology that's there. Um, for behavioral health, we have things like tone analyzer and personality insight. So obviously to be able to use that to if, 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 if uh, patients, for example, or even pre-patients or consumers are active on social media, to be able to uh, analyze the text to determine is there a suicidality risk, is there a depression risk, is there a homicidality risk, to be able to try to derive from social media postings, can you tell the tone with relative certainty of, 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 an, of an individual's uh, intentions um, to, to, uh, or um, beliefs or something like that. So, uh, and again, again, that, that a lot of that is for mental health and behavioral health could, uh, applications. But you can even think about tying it into um, the things like medication adherence. Um, if folks are posting such and such, are they likely to to quit smoking or uh, to take their medications and stuff like that, or not take their medications or get a refill, what have you? Um, so those are um, some of the kind of the the, the the top ones that come to mind um, from a from a from what are the APIs and applications and services that you that that you uh, that are publicly available available that can be utilized for health-related and even non-health-related use cases. We'll get right back to our discussion in just a moment, but first I wanted to tell you about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Bayer Grants for Apps. One of the things I love about Bayer is that they're really forward thinkers. They're thinking of ways to innovate their business in the industry, and they're not just saying that, they're actually investing and working to do it. How do I mean that? Well, this program is a perfect example. This is the fifth round of the Bayer Grants for Apps program, and the goal is to support innovative healthcare startups and developer teams all around the globe. Selected startups receive funding, office space, and mentorship by top Bayer professionals. Now that sounds great, but here's something even better. Applications for the Grants for Apps Accelerator program are now open. Grants for Apps invites you to submit your innovative healthcare projects. What are they looking for? A whole range of things, and they have a full list on the Grants for Apps website. 
They're looking for solutions that address patient compliance, prevention, healthy habits, patient empowerment, motivation, clinical trials, predictive behavior, and the list goes on. Basically, they're looking for software, hardware, technologies, or processes that can be applied to particular areas contributing to improved health outcomes or pharmaceutical processes. Sound like a fit? Applications are now open, but don't delay. The deadline to apply is May 31st, 2017. Get full details on their website at grantsforapps.com. And even if you're not interested in the Grants for Apps Accelerator, you should still go online and check out their new Dealmaker program. That's for more mature teams, startups, and companies, and it's all about creating quality face time between you and Bear experts for one full day. You can learn more about both programs on their website, and you can even apply for both at the same time. Just visit grantsforapps.com or click on the link in the show notes. Now let's jump back to the conversation. So people know about Watson on a 35,000-foot view, but not a lot of people know about the go-to-market strategy, and it's probably changed a lot over the years in ter- as, as the product has evolved and the ecosystem's evolved. Um, so what are you doing to cultivate partnerships and customers and ultimately make money with IBM Watson? You've got the, I know you've got the incubator track and the partnerships track. Can you tell me more about those and how all this is working in practice as a business? Yeah, it's and it's it, there's two pronged because there's two types of organizations at least that are trying to figure out exactly how to use uh, uh, Watson technology. First, you have these large companies. Again, I, I think I may have referenced them earlier in this interview, but Medtronic, Cleveland Clinic, um, and some of these larger organizations. And the way that we're partnering with them is for very large strategic initiatives. Think industry transformation. Think uh, for their for not only nationally but also uh, internationally. So those are much larger strategic partnerships. They have specific either maybe their use cases or specific business objectives. Um, Medtronic, for example, you see the deployment of a consumer-facing app for diabetics called Sugar.IQ to help um, uh, predict hypoglycemic events well before they happen so folks can be in the right place at the right time around you know, near food or orange juice, cookies, et cetera, to, to prevent hypoglycemia and make sure you know that data is also pushed back to their provider to help you know, treatment regimens and, and so forth, um, and lifestyle, um, um, changes and so forth. So that's, that's one side. What we're doing in the Watson health ecosystem is to try to enable some of these smaller companies, the startups, the, the, the true health disruptors, if you will, that are trying to do things in different ways and, and they are aggregating tons of data. So we're working with them to help them figure out how can they aggregate all the data in a HIPAA compliant environment to truly deliver personalized and contextually relevant um, health and wellness guidance to, to patients, pre-patients and consumers to deliver personalized, contextually relevant um, clinical decision support to providers and caregivers. And there's even some who are innovating and taking that exact same data set and trying to help employers uh, make sure that their employees are guide, getting guidance to the right uh, incentive programs and benefits that they're taking advantage of everything their employer health plans or their employers have to offer to take care of themselves um, and prevent themselves from getting sick. But also if they do get sick, making sure they get the right care at the right time by the right people for the right cost. Um, and then also um, extending some additional insights to to payers um, and trying to help them for those types of use cases. Um, and then we're also seeing some of these startups interested in, in education, clinical education for patients and providers. Um, can we truly disrupt, for example, medical education? Do do Now that we have machines that can ingest and process a large volume of information, does medical school still need to be all about memorizing as much as you can and, and, and regurgitating as much as you can? Or can it focus more on keeping things personal because a machine's doing all the 
impersonal things as data abstraction, and we as diagnosticians become validators. Um, we as, as technicians become OR support, if you will, to, to robots that might eventually be doing the operations. Um, so I know I went off on a little tangent there, but that's how we're working with, with companies is the large ones, large, much uh, star, uh, larger strategic uh, commercial um, partnerships, um, but then also with the smaller companies to help enable them and support them as they build and deploy uh, disruptive solutions for healthcare. Where do people go to find out about those things? Where's, where's the best website or best link that they can start to see how they can get involved? Yeah, the first step I always rec- recommend to folks is to go to our IBM Bluemix environment. So it's uh, if they just Google IBM Bluemix, uh, B-L-U-E-M-I-X, uh, uh, an IBM space Bluemix, um, and then they'll get to a Bluemix catalog. Um, and it's in. It, I think I also included that link in some of the stuff I've sent you. But that's that's number number one. Um, that's a. And our Bluemix environment right now is not HIPAA compliant. So if they're interested in HIPAA compliant solutions, um, then they can go to um, ibm.com forward slash Watson forward slash health, um, and then they can see some of the stuff that we're doing for health. For health, the next step would be if they're truly interested is to contact me, um, so that we can explore how to get them um, uh, get them to start you know, defining use cases, getting data together, um, and building solutions. So those are the, the two the two big places that I always refer folks to is to go um, start in Bluemix and they can start playing there. They can start um, um, loading their own data sets um, and utilizing the APIs, applications and services that are publicly available. Um, but then in Watson Health, they can begin to see how we can start trying to um, build solutions together to really um, displace the workflow. We will have a HIPAA compliant Bluemix, if you will, within Watson Health soon, so they can start doing some of that. But that's that's uh, we're, the timeline for that is um, is later this year. Yeah, you mentioned some of the larger companies that are involved in your partnership track, and there are some other companies that aren't quite as large as the Medtronics of the world, uh, like GenieMD or WellTalk and BrightMinded. I know I saw them in the, your your slide deck that you sent across. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those great solutions? Maybe some of the things that spring to mind in terms of some of the really great approaches that are transforming the way that that people are interfacing or accessing healthcare. Yeah, so I think the the one we always talk about is WellTalk, per, primarily because that's also something that uh, IBM employees are are using. Um, and so when we think about consumer facing health solutions that utilize Watson. WellTalk's the, 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 one of the first ones. So that's one that enables kind of, uh, it, it, it knows about us as employees. It knows about maybe any health risks that we may have because it's kind of connected with our benefits department and so forth. And it's able to tailor kind of health and wellness guidance for us as employees and users of, of, of the WellTalk solution. Other solutions that, that are kind of more provider facing are things like Watson for oncology. Um, and these are, these are technologies that uh, this is an offering that we actually have at IBM that is enabled that is able to ingest and process uh, data from an EHR, so clinical data as well as oncology data for specific cancers. I think breast, colorectal, lung, gastric cancer are some of the uh, are four of the ones that it can it can target. But it, to be able to make sure that they're getting the, the the patients who have been diagnosed with those cancers are getting the right, for example, chemotherapeutic recommendations, surgery recommendations. Um, clinical trial recommendations. Um, so those are the, the the two big ones that I that would uh, talk about. Probably well talk from a consumer perspective, and then uh, wants it for oncology from a provider perspective. Can you give us any flavor about what's happening outside the U.S. and some of the the, the things that are partners and opportunities that might exist beyond uh, the fifty states? 
Yeah, a really, really good question. Um, we're just now trying to, in Watson Health, trying to get a lot of visibility. Um, um, we do have a lot of interest in organizations trying to use utilize Watson uh, technologies um, uh, for healthcare, um, and and we, we're, I'm seeing a lot of the same things. It's number one. Um, can we? How can we use machine learning to go deeper, faster, broader with predictive structured analytics? So a lot of organizations internationally, just like we're seeing here in the U.S., have tons of data, structured data that they want to derive insights from quickly. They just don't have the time or the bandwidth to do it. Then um, we're also seeing similarity, similar um, needs to aggregate a bunch of uh, unstructured data and ingest and process a lot of unstructured data. So all these disparate data sources, bring them all together, uh, normalize them and derive insights using cognitive computing, machine learning, and so forth. The interesting thing, though, that you do see is that some of these countries, um, number one, if they do have electronic health records, they're more centralized. So they do have, um, because of the way that they, they've been using EHR, some of them for some time, they already have a lot of this data in one place. And so it becomes, it's a little bit simpler to become an analytics exercise. Um, commercialization, it becomes a challenge. And we see a lot of this because IBM, again, is a global company, 400,000 employees or so uh, across the globe. So, uh, and offices in many, many, in many, if not all countries. But in any case, um, we're, that's the number one thing is that a lot of the data that is existing is already there. So it's a little bit um, easier, if you will. Um, then second piece is the compliance rules and regulation. Obviously, every organization or every country has its own um, set of compliance and, and rules when it comes to health data. Um, but we do have um, some potential to utilize the technologies there. Again, still early, so a lot of these are being explored. Um, but the, the, the challenge, though, is very, very similar. I, I'm, I'm seeing across the board. The, the number one challenge is always um, uh, compliance. Um, so there's a the data piece and so forth. Then there's also culture. So even if we want to do all this stuff, um, you know, can you truly, the, the holy grail of all of this, whether we use machine learning or not, is behavior change of the patients and the consumers and the, the doctors and the providers. So you know, we're seeing a lot of cultural um, um, uh, shifts that have to happen. And then cost, it's still, again, it's still expensive. Um, and so even if countries have all this data and they have the, the, ready, the, the readiness to do the, the, the cultural shifts that are required, um, the cost is some, sometimes prohibitive. So, so figuring out how to um, account for those three Cs at least um, is still a, a unique challenge. So see some different, I guess the, the, the short answer is uh, internationally seeing a lot of uh, more similarities than not, but there's still a lot of interest. Where people begin to get scared when they start talking about augmented enhanced uh, intelligence is when we start talking about that in terms of decision making. Correct. And whether things like Watson are going to begin making decisions about our health and treatment. Is this really a valid concern in your view? I think it's a valid concern, but it's uh, it's not something that Watson is going to be doing. So we, we are not... Uh, we do not deploy Watson um, um, or um, talk about Watson as a decision maker. We talk about Watson as a tool to help and support clinical decisions that doctors and nurses will make. So if you think about um, uh, a patient that might need to have a particular operation, rather than actually uh, saying, you know, Watson saying, do the operation, or Watson saying, Watson actually doing the operation, in fact. Um, what it is, it's, 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 it's something that instead of a physician spending hours of time abstracting data from multiple disparate data sources 
to understand what is the true diagnosis for this patient. Did I miss anything from an imaging standpoint, from a lab standpoint, from a history standpoint, from a clinical trial or medical literature standpoint? Am I giving the right care at the right time to the right patient using the best evidence possible? Um, Watson will pull all, will be the data aggregator, will be the data abstractor, will then provide the, 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 the doctor or the nurse at the point of care with a menu of consideration saying this patient has, I, I, you should, Dr. So-and-so, you should consider this, 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 and this for this patient. And then when you think about it just in a point-and-click environment, uh, we'll get into a much different environment when we're talking about AR, VR, or augmented reality and virtual reality and just talking to um, uh, to Watson. But in a point-and-click world, you can then click on a, you know, consideration number one and see why Watson, where's the data that, Watts, that led Watson to recommend or put that number one. And then as a doctor or a nurse, being able to still be the final decision-maker to say, yes, that makes sense. That lab value is, I validated the lab value behind this recommendation or consideration. I, lab, I validated the imaging report and the imaging study. I validated the history. And oh, most of all, I validated that with the patient that this is what the patient wants based upon his or her quality of life uh, expectations and needs and, and the support system, family, et cetera. So that's how we envision Watson is to be a clinical decision support tool. We believe Watson will always be a clinical decision support tool. Um, but Watson is not a decision maker. Watson is not an interven intervention deliverer. Um, Watson is just a clinical decision support tool to help us use our existing technologies more efficiently. Do you think that's the way that the rest of the industry is viewing it as well? I got at least two schools of thought in industry. One school of thought is the school of, the, the school of thought that's actually read up on Watson and, 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 and the technologies that we're utilizing and even talk to people from IBM to understand. They understand that, no, this is, we, we get it. This is, a, this is a clinical decision support tool. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Those, that, those organizations that all they see is a computer, um, all, they, uh, all they see is a commercial, uh, and all they, they see and read about is other folks perhaps being anxious and nervous about computers taking over the world in healthcare, um, there, there, there's always that school of thought. So I always say in my conversations, and that's why, you know, when you go to the, when I, when I say, you know, if they want more information about health, call me or contact me first. My first step is to help them understand what Watson is and what Watson isn't, um, kind of move them from the Watson's going to take over the world camp and, and make decisions for everyone camp, move them over from, no, Watson is a tool much in the same way as we use a stethoscope and a CT scanner um, and an EHR. Um, then once they move from that camp to the other, but you, you're, yeah, I see both, um, but um, you're absolutely right. It is something that we have to fight to, to dis dispel the the myth that uh, that Watson and other um, enhanced or augmented uh, intelligence solutions are going to make decisions. That is, that is not the case, at least as it pertains to Watson. It's a it's a fairly new industry, really, at least at the level at which it's playing now. It, it seems to be. I mean, I'm not a computer scientist, but um, you know, we're generating so much data, and we there's such a focus on how we utilize this data to create real actionable insights, both on a personal level as well as on a population level. How do you view that the industry is going to change over the next five or ten years? Um, are there going to be a lot more small players coming in, or is it going to be divided down to, let's say, the big two or big three companies that are chasing what Watson has been doing? Um, I don't know. I wish I could predict the future. Maybe we need to ask that question to Watson <laughs> and see what Watson says. Um, no, I don't. I don't know. I think that right now, I know IBM. We have uh, made significant pro progress. Um, uh, I do believe that one of the things that does set Watson apart from some of our competitors um, is that we have a de declared 
helped to be our moonshot. So while you do read a lot about augmented, artificial, enhanced intelligence, whatever we want to call it. You you hear a lot about machine learning and cognitive computing. Um, the one thing you will always hear from folks at IBM and Watson is that we have a huge focus on using those technologies to improve health, health care, health quality, health outcomes, health efficiency, healthcare efficiency. So I think that's that's the, the the most that we can say for now. Will we see more than one player um, uh, and, 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 and others, and maybe some smaller players, um, possibly, I think that that the we are fortunate and blessed to be in a, in a in a time and a place where the environment's fertile for all these small and large companies to do great things with clinical and non-clinical data. But I, I think it's still too early to say who's going to win, or is there going to be a singular winner, or is there going to be you know multiple winners? At the end of the day, as long as patients and and care providers win, that's all that matters, I guess. <laughs> well, that's really helpful. I really appreciate you uh, giving that explanation. I've got a quick six questions I'd like to ask you. Do you have time to uh, indulge me on that? Yeah, absolutely. What is a saying, quote, or phrase that motivates you? Yeah, so I actually have two. One of them is um, be the change that you want to see in the world. And it's kind of paraphrased, and I may not even say it right, but you know, be the change you want to see. And the second one is um, proactively prevent regret. Um, so you take that, I take them as literally as you want, I guess. <laughs> What advice do you have for others working to innovate in healthcare? Yeah, I think the biggest one here, and you made a great reference to it um, earlier in our conversation or the beginning of our conversation about you know a lot of folks leaving clinical medicine to go into uh, technology and business um, uh, careers and occupations is the advice I would have is never feel like you're trapped. I think a lot of physicians and clinicians, they, 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 they go to they dedicate a lot of time and money and energy in pre-med to take the test and all that. And then dedicate a lot of time and energy in medical school. They dedicate a lot of time and energy even in residency and perhaps even post-residency in practice. And they feel like they've got all that medical debt. They've spent all that time in. They've got all these expectations and, and prestige and pride. Um, and they feel trapped like they can't leave. Uh, and sometimes you do have to leave healthcare um, as a practitioner to fix the system and fix what ails it. Um, so that would be my advice is no matter where you are in the healthcare spectrum. Never feel like you're, you're trapped or you're stuck, especially in the U.S. where we have great, great, uh, we're privileged and blessed to have tremendous opportunities uh, to do whatever we want. Um, but never feel trapped. And, and, and if you can't get to an outcome that you know we can get to uh, in, your, in your present state, figure out the best way to pivot. Call me, call other folks to figure out how to help you uh, uh, change the system perhaps from the outside. What book do you recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so I recommend this book, even though I haven't read it yet, but it's on my top list. And it's just, I think it's timely given everything we talked about, but it's The the Digital Doctor by Robert Wachter. Um, uh, I've heard really great things about it. Um, it really gives, I think, folks a glimpse about what it means to be a doctor in this world, um, uh, this digital world, um, how much data doctors have to ingest and process, and then also try to have a life uh, as because they're human beings. Um, so really, I think things like uh, The Digital Doctor is a book I would recommend. What tech besides Watson do you say you wouldn't want to live without? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm actually going to give you a very, very low tech that I can't live without. I cannot live without um, a whiteboard and dry erase markers. To me, I don't care how high tech we get, how great devices begin become, how you know, we may have chips in our bloodstream and all that kind of great stuff. Um, the tech that – the ideas to, to create all those great things – were likely started on a whiteboard with dry erase markers. So um, uh, the tech that I cannot live without is with a, a whiteboard with at least six uh, dry erase markers uh, of you know, different colors. 
right, very good. If I were to give you a check for $5 million for you to invest in health technology today, where would you invest it? I would invest it in, in uh, you know, Watson, but cognitive computing and machine learning. The challenge we have right now is that although the technology exists, and, and I know it does, natural language processing, all these APIs, image recognition, um, aggregating data, normalizing data, you know, so even if the EHR vendors aren't, uh, if they never become interoperable, we have the ability with Watson and our, and our Watson Health Cloud, our HIPAA compliant cloud to, and our data lakes to take all this data in. Um, but it's expensive because it's still early. Um, so that's where I would start is to, to be able to, to, to put together a use case where we're actually taking these data sets um, uh, to build a solution that uh, can really deliver personalized and contextually relevant uh, health and wellness guidance to patients, use that exact same data, data set to de- deliver personalized, contextually relevant uh, clinical decision support to providers, and then use that exact same data, data set to get enhanced in- insights from employers, insurers, educators, you name it. We make a contribution to a charity in appreciation of your time on the show. What uh, charity have you selected, and can you tell us a little bit about what they do? Yeah, and I think it's one that's familiar to a lot of folks, um, but it's one that I've always been very, very interested in. And, and if had I stayed with clinical medicine, it's one I probably would have uh, tried to contribute to um, uh, professionally um, with my with, with with services. But it's uh, Doctors Without Borders. Uh, I won't even say the I'll try to say the same the French name, Medicine Sans Frontières. Um, but uh, Doctors Without Borders, they they are their mission is to to uh, uh, deliver emergency aid to folks uh, affected by you know, armed conflicts, uh, epidemics, natural disasters, and those folks who just don't have access to healthcare because of where they are and what their situation in their region is. Um, so Medicines uh, Sans Frontiers uh, allows them to uh, uh, get care uh, regardless of their political, geographic, um, racial, religion, gender, whatever is impeding their care. Excellent. We'll make a, a donation, and I'll let you know when that is uh, when that donation has been made, and I'll make sure I include the link to that charity on the show notes. That is a very well-known charity, and uh, they do excellent work. Thanks for selecting them. No problem. And how can people keep in touch and follow your work? LinkedIn's probably the best way um, to, to, to get in touch with me or just email me directly, or you know how to find me, Dan, so they can always ping you if, if they need to. If for some reason, I'm not responding. <laughs> Excellent. Very good. Well, thanks for being a part of the show and for taking the time to, to share your vision and work. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners before we end? Uh, this has been a great uh, opportunity to, to, to contribute. We can change healthcare. We can use technology to do it. We just got to really push through a lot of barriers. Well, there you have it. That was Chaitanya Dahagam of IBM Watson Health. Be sure to connect with him on LinkedIn and let him know that you heard him here on Digital Health Today. Get the full show notes and links to all the resources he mentioned at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 25. Next week, we have Kate Newhouse, the CEO of Dr. Care Anywhere, who's going to share how they've built an international telehealth service. We have more great guests coming up, diving into biomarkers, genetic therapy, health systems, blockchain, and more. Don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. All those links can be found on the website. Thanks to our sponsor, Bear Grants for Apps, for their support of the podcast. Don't forget to check out their website at Grants for Apps. That's Grants, the number four, apps.com. Applications to their accelerator are open now and close on May 31st, 2017. So don't miss out. Thanks again for tuning in. That's all for me for now. Until next time, keep on innovating.